Hello, and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades from movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Hello, Jason. A naked American man stole my balloons. That's right, listeners. It's our last week of Splatter Cinema Month where we have the most unoriginal idea to talk about horror movies during the month of October. Our final movie is 1981's American Werewolf in London, starring David Naughton, Jenny Agutter, and Griffin Dunn. Written and directed by John Landis, this movie is rated R with a running time of 1 hour and 37 minutes. The movie received one Oscar for Best Makeup by Rick Baker. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. It's a rainy night on the Welsh Moors. Two American students on a walking tour of Europe trudge on to the next town when suddenly the air is pierced by an unearthly howl. Three weeks later, one is dead. The other is in the hospital and the nightmare begins for an American werewolf in London. David Naughton, Griffin Dunn, and Jenny Agarter Star in this contemporary story of the macabre, which takes you from the Welsh Moors to Piccadilly Circus, Trafalgar Square, and the grounds of Windsor Castle. It is written and directed by John Landis, the man who brought you Animal House, The Blues Brothers, Kentucky Fried Movie, and Schlock. To add to the chill, there is art direction by Academy Award winner Les Dilly of Star Wars and Alien fame, and special makeup effects by Rick Baker whose work includes Star Wars and The Exorcist. An American werewolf in London. So that was What's in the Box. Let's move on to our earliest memories of the film. Jason, as always, please start us off. Well, speaking of Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I saw this movie. It was a long time ago, Bill Bant. And first of all, just let me say good evening to you, sir pleasure to see you and to to be on this podcast with you tonight is it a full moon tonight do we know i believe it is not so we are safe okay if i just break out in a sweat all of a sudden you'll know yes it is a full moon anyway yeah i you know i did see this movie a long time ago i remember some of the goofiness i remember liking the everyman protagonists you know, in the beginning of the film, we're introduced to David and Jack, and they are backpackers in Northern England. And and I was like, they're just two regular dudes. I'm like, okay, I can relate. Uh, I remember our main guy, David, was having visions of his dead buddy. I remember that's always sticks with me. I was like, I, I, I was trying to, you know, think of American Werewolf in London. What do I remember about this movie? And it was like, oh man, that's right. The gory makeup effects of his buddy. He kept seeing him in these nightmare sequences and it was just nightmarish. Just the uh, visual. So that has uh, stuck with me. But at the same time, and this is the weird aspect of this movie, is, is the tone itself. Is that because you have these ghoulish nightmarish visions of David's buddy Jack who's dead but they're silly in a way not the effects not the makeup effects themselves but the context within 
presenting himself as being dead and the it's just we'll we'll get into it. So the scene will we are going to inevitably break down is the transformation. Oh yes. And that is the memory from this movie. Uh, I think that goes without saying. I'll just leave it there. I somehow do remember the werewolf in the streets that is during the finale of this film, the gunfire, the bittersweet end. Um, That stuck with me, that visual. Then finally, just recalling an overall strangeness about this movie, not only because of the tonality, but also because we have a main character who is a fish out of a water, out of an ocean. That's what I wrote down. He's an American in London who is a werewolf. So it's not just that this poor guy is a fish out of water, being a stranger in a strange land, but he's a werewolf on top of it. And then you put this in a horror comedy genre, and this film is kind of difficult to pin down. Again, I think about this movie, maybe it's a a feeling overall of just kind of disorientation. Maybe that's the best way to put it. That's my my earliest feeling of this movie, Bill Band. What are your earliest memories? So for me, once again, it goes back to Vacation at the Shore because this movie came out in the late summer and that's when we were always on vacation. And I remember being on the boardwalk and in the Wildwood, they used to have like three movie theaters on the boardwalk. And one of the theaters had, you know, they were showing the movie and the poster was, you know, right in front. And it's, you know, of David and Jack and they're looking back at the moon. And I just remember I had like, was having like ice cream with my parents or something. And we were just stopping. I was just, I just remember looking at this poster and I'm like, Ooh, this is kind of creepy. Like, what's this mean? Like American werewolf in London. Like I, like at that age, I just didn't get the concept of it. Cause I think, yeah, I was under 10. So it was just like, oh, that's something I never want to see. That's, you know, that's scary stuff. <laughs> right. And then I remember it came on cable and my parents were watching it and they were actually letting me watch it. Wow. And the attack scene that freaked me out when Jack gets attacked in the beginning. I remember that like totally Absolutely. messing me up. And then that messed me up this time. And we'll, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. And then there's the scene where the lovemaking scene between David and Alex. And I love because as as a kid, your parents always know like, hey, time to get out of the room. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how do they know? How do they know something's going to happen? And I remember leaving the living room and kind of like waiting. Like there was like an archway between our living room and dining room. And I'm just standing there like waiting for them to, to wave me back in. And the way our house was set up with the TV you know how your parents always have like, you know, pictures up or whatever. And one of the, one of the pictures of, right I know exactly what you're going to say. Exactly. The, exactly re- the reflection. That's yep. right. <laughs> yep. And I'm trying to watch and I'm like, Oh, what's going on? What's going on? And sure enough, you know, you see, see a little boob. Somebody, I was just going to say, sure enough, boobies. Yep. And then, you know, I, I get brought back in, but once again, I mentioned this before, my parents had the strict bedtime deadline. <laughs> So hour into the movie, guess what? Time to go to bed. So I did not see the rest oh, of it. Oh man, you missed the best part. Yes. So Wait, did you catch the transformation though? At least. Yes. Yeah, I did okay. catch the transformation. All right. 
But still, that might even be worse, though, than they have to go to bed right after that. That's pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much. I got to see oh. that and that was it. And then I go to bed and have nightmares. And, okay, good night, Bill. Oh, my then, God, that's awful. And then remembering having asked my dad the next morning, like, what had happened in the movie? And he was telling me about, oh, yeah, you know, he's tried to get him, you know, kill a bunch of people. And there's this whole scene in the movie theater where they're all telling him how to kill him. And he tried to get himself arrested. And then he dies at the end. And then I have no idea when I eventually saw the rest of the movie. But yeah, I, I remember I got to see the beginning of it, but it was enough to give me nightmares. I mean, that well, that's what I was going to say. What it, frightened that, me. When you said that you had to go to bed basically shortly thereafter, the transformation sequence in this movie. And when I keep saying transformation, uh, I, I know the listeners know what I'm talking about. And that's when David's character transforms into the werewolf for the first time in this movie. And I would just think if that's your the final image you have before going to sleep at night as a child, that would be the stuff of nightmares. I'm impressed that you actually got up the next day and was like, what happened? What happened in the rest of the movie where I would have been like to my parents, I hate you both. I think that didn't bother me so much because traumatizing me when they were advertising, when they were promoting um, American Werewolf was coming on HBO, they would do like between movies, they would do like behind the scenes. And that was one of the movies they were doing behind the scenes. So they were kind of showing you how the transformation was done. I got you. Okay. So at so, least I kind of knew it was more of the scene where the scene that got me, the two scenes that got me the most was the one where David's having the vision of him running through the forest and he sees himself in the bed. Yeah. And then the nurse comes up to him and he does that face that like, right. Yeah. Then he's like, he's got the full makeup on. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that was a crap your pants moment. And then, of course, the werewolf Nazis. Oh, yeah. That, though, yeah, those two were the ones that gave me the and and the initial scene of of Jack getting killed. That was really tough. More sure. than more than the transformation, because the transformation, I kind of knew going in what that was about. But I hadn't seen any of the other stuff before. And that, yeah, that was the stuff that really freaked me out and gave me nightmares and took me a while to basically muster up the courage to watch the rest of the film. Good stuff. Got it. All right. So let's uh, move on to initial thoughts. What are some of our initial thoughts about American Werewolf in London? Um, yeah, absolutely. This was an interesting watch. I'm so glad to have been able to watch this again. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. You know what I thought of actually uh, when <laughs> I think I finished watching the movie, something my acting instructor Ken Lerner used to say when I was done performing a scene in our scene study class, and he would kind of have this look on his face. He'd be like, hmm, okay, well, we've got a lot to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. And that didn't necessarily mean that he felt the scene was quote unquote bad. It just meant that he had notes and that there were probably some good things and some bad things or that things that we could work on, you know, plenty of things, you know, room to improve. Because he was pretty honest if if the scene was unsuccessful. So, but that's kind of what I thought when I, I you know watched this movie. I was like, hmm, well, I've got lots to talk about. So right from the get, I had used the word disorientation to conclude my earliest memories segment. I think a better word would be I have a feeling of imbalance or unbalance regarding this movie. But 
that doesn't mean I think this is a bad movie by any stretch of imagination. I think this is actually quite important movie. And we'll talk about that plenty. The beginning of this movie starts with the classic oldie, but goodie blue moon is playing the song. And it's just, and you already kind of know what you're in for as far as the genre, right? And you know, there it's mainly horror, but there's going to be a comedic element if you've done any kind of research before watching this movie. And but then when that song kicks in and you're just getting the landscape shots, the establishing shots of the countryside, which is supposed to be northern England, which I believe is like supposed to be Yorkshire or it's the the Moors yeah. in that area. And you get that song, and you're like, what is this? What am what? Why am I listening to this song? This doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, know? it doesn't feel horror. Yeah. No, it's I'm not it's not scary. This is a classic song. I like the song. It's a famous song. Moon is in it. I'm like, okay, well, maybe, yeah, we got there's something related to the werewolf lore in this song. So you, then you see right away in the titles Lycanthrope uh productions. You're like, oh great, here we go. That's uh, not hiding anything there. Here's a question for you right off the bat. We're introduced to our protagonists. I mentioned David and Jack. They're dropped off by a truck driver who's got a truck full of sheep. And they get off the sheep truck. And they're just like in the middle of literally out in the middle of nowhere in the countryside backpacking. And I'm like, oh, my God, these guys got to be freezing. It looked like it was freezing. out there. It's raining. And it's it just looks like winter, even though there's no snow. It's just it's gray, it's rainy, it's windy. And they seem quite upbeat about the situation for the most part. But you, the camaraderie, the relationship, the friendship is established. I love that stuff. You know me, I like relationship development. Help me out here, Bill Bent, because David is trying to keep Jack light. And they're talking, you know, and there's a knock knock joke here. Did I miss something? Is the, or is the point that there isn't punchline to this joke, the knock knock joke in the beginning? I was listening to that too to see if I could figure it out, and I could not. And from it what sounded, I yeah. read, they improvised that. Okay, so I don't. I, I, it's almost like um, from the Breakfast Club, where um, Judd Nelson was just kind of making up that joke as it went along, and there was really never any punchline. So it oh, was yeah, almost sure, the sure. same right, thing. Right, right. Yeah, I, gotcha. I think it's the yeah, same yeah. thing. They were just kind of joking around and they kept it. They just kind of like that knock knock. It's fun. It's fun. It's a little fun rapport that they have. I just thought I missed something. I was like, oh, is there something subtle here in this joke? But thank you for clarifying that for me. Love this stuff. First of all, I would love to go to this. I know they shot a lot of this in Wales, but I love the visuals here in the countryside. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go. It's like tops on my list of places to travel to. So I love the scenery. And when they get to the pub, the slaughtered lamb, what a great name for oh, yes. a pub uh, in the English countryside. <laughs> I love the, the remember the Alamo joke, the Alamo the oh, yes. joke that's told by the, the chess player. Great stuff. As soon as Jack looks at the wall, in the, on the wall in this pub is a five-pointed star which he calls a pentangle, which I usually, you usually hear like pentagram or things like that associated with the five-pointed star or, or whatever, but it's associated like with the occult or in this case, 
you know, Jack actually brings up Lon Chaney and Universal Studios. Yeah. Says that this is the mark of the Wolfman, which I was not familiar with. I don't know. Do you know, Bill? Does that go back to the classic horror movies, the creature features of the day with Lon Chaney and Bela Lugosi and things like that? I was more into the Dracula Frankenstein, not so much into the gotcha. Wolfman. So I don't remember. If, I know Landis is a big horror buff. So if you put it in there, it's probably right. I just thought it was cool because that was an aspect of the Wolfman or werewolf that I had not heard of before. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard, you know, we know of the silver bullet. We know about the full moon is when the transformation happens and when they need to, when uh, the werewolf needs to feed and then coming out of the transformation, transforming back into the human form, uh, the memory loss, right? Yes. And things like that. So we understand a lot of that, but the pentangle, uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, you brought up Jack's death. That hit me this time. That was horrific. Yeah. This is it. So this is just a little setup for the boys and girls uh, listening at home or in their vehicles. We are led into the fact that this town, um, the it's called the officialdom, I believe, by one of the inspectors later on. The officialdom of East Proctor uh, in the Moors of Northern England. They have a secret in this land uh, where we we kind of know there's some foreshadowing, you know, here what's going on. There's a uh, wolf in the woods. Let's just put it that way, uh, or in the moors, I should say, a werewolf. And well, obviously, David and Jack aren't about to just believe everything they hear, even though they they're kind of getting the inkling of something dark and mysterious going on in this land. But they aren't the the pub goers aren't about to tell them exactly what's happening but so david and jack leave the pub are walking in the middle of the night which i don't advise not when it's just raining and cold and they're in the middle of nowhere in northern england but then they hear the really creepy howling in the distance and they're being circled by this creature etc this is when the werewolf attacks and it just gets on top of jack and starts mauling him and you hear jack just screaming for David, like, help me, help me. He's, doesn't he say something to the back? He's like, killing he's me. Killing me. Yeah, I thought he he's said that killing too. Killing me. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh man, it's gnarly. It is gnarly. And Jack, it, uh, you understand, I mean, excuse me, David, you understand it. It's This is fight or flight situation, right? Yes. And he takes off. And I'm like, I feel bad for Jack, but I get it. I'm like, David freaks. But oh, yeah. then he has the moment of realization where he calms down just for a split second. He's like, Jack, I got to go. And he has to go back for him, but it's too late. But that's uh, that hit me, man. Just just another initial thought right there. I have I'm a sucker for girls with boys names. I know that sounds weird, but in particular, girls named Alex. I have a thing for I don't know Why? But we have Nurse Alex in this film. Nurse Alex Price, played by Jenny Agutter. Mm-hmm. She's definitely hot. I mean, come on. She's got the British accent. She's wearing the nurse's uniform. Bill Bant, Nurse Alex can feed me anytime. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Just, that's just another initial thought I had. Also, speaking of uh, Nurse Alex, a beautiful woman in a T-shirt and nothing else. Well, there's nothing oh, else yeah. like it. Super hot. Nothing else like it. Always. Yes. 
My final initial thought, Bill Bant, this is a movie I really want to love. This movie is important. I enjoyed the rewatch thoroughly. There's a lot of things I like about this movie. I also feel like this movie has a real issue with tone. And I know it's also a matter of opinion. I think this movie does not work on a lot of levels. And that's just a personal opinion. I still enjoy it. I think it's important. I think it should be studied. And I love. I would love to get into a lot of discussions. Well, I'm about to discuss it with you. I. This is a movie I love for what it could have been. I think this movie could be something even more. And that's just my opinion. And I will break that down much later in this podcast. The makeup effects, for the most part, really still hold up Rick Baker's the oh, yeah. fucking man. Right? Oh, yeah. Totally agree. Uh, I had issues with the tone. I think it's unbalanced. I think it has a lot of potential from a story standpoint. The makeup effects are amazing. I adore the last 40 minutes of this movie. There's so much great stuff. And that's it for my initial thoughts, Bill Band. How about you got any uh, initial thoughts? Yeah, some of it is going to follow up on some of the stuff that you said. I had discussed this back in RoboCop when we were going to watch that. And I was really worried about seeing the Murphy scene again, watching him get killed. Yeah. And I've seen this movie plenty of times, but having to watch this again and watch the Jack attack scene, I, I, I was getting the same dread too, because when you watch that scene, like when you watch usually someone die in a movie, it's something happens to them and they get stabbed and they just do the, and that's it. Right. They're, they're done. Whereas yeah. this one, it's like guttural screaming. Yeah. Like you're credit, credit to the actor. Yes. For sure. You are feeling what he is going through. And the fact, like I had to keep running this through my head too. Like, okay, if I was David, would I have run? Would I have tried to help him? And I was so conflicted thinking back and forth. Cause part of me was like, yeah, I think I would have ran or I probably would have been so stunned. I would just sat there and watched it at first. Yeah, sure. I would have frozen. Yeah. yeah. So it, it even made it more upsetting for me because I'm like, holy crap, I would have watched my best friend like just get ripped apart right in front of me. It was tough watching that again, trying to get through that. It didn't seem as bad as I, I made it out to be. It's still a tough scene. It's still tough to watch. 100%. There's a realism to it because you don't see enough of it. You talked about how you had seen some of the behind the scenes of the transformation sequence. And so you understood that it was not real, Mm -hmm. but the way that this is shot Jack's death in the beginning of the film there, it's kind of dark and you see the mauling happen. And then, but you see some of you see the gore attached to it. And then his screams, which are extremely realistic. uh, There's it. It's very off-putting. You don't, see people usually die like that on especially when you're that young and you're watching it for the first time i mean we did have that period of the uh like, like torture porn torture and, porn and, yeah. yeah so we yeah, yeah we sure. kind of go through, but in a way this was almost like a, an example of torture porn right there just watching that murder take place um so yeah it was it was rough preparing to watch that and even watching it again even though i've seen this movie multiple times sure uh, the second thing was I had a Mandela effect 
watching this film. Cool. Yeah. Because I thought for sure, and I think maybe because I read about it or heard about it. So the first time after Jack comes back from the dead Mm -hmm. and he does the scene where he's eating the food, I thought for sure there was a shot where like he's swallowing the food and it's literally just dropping out of his throat. At least he's not eating it. Right. And I'm waiting for it. Like, all right, when's the food going to fall out of his throat? Oh, wait. I know I've seen this before, but I think I read about it or I saw it in the behind the scenes special where they talked about that they were going to do that. But then when I was reading up on the research, they had cut it out just because Correct. it was too gruesome. And then um, the third thing, and I don't know why I never realized this before. David's not a werewolf that long. It's only over a period of two days. And then the movie ends. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of abrupt. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's, we'll get, we'll break it down, Bill Bant. I was surprised by that. Yeah. It never really dawned on me before, I but did not recall about that. Yeah. 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 He's really technically a werewolf for 30 hours and that's it. Right. Boom. And then I'm just trying to think of all the other werewolf movies. How long are they a werewolf before they get caught or yeah, this, this might be the shortest period. Someone's ever technically a werewolf on film, unless it's one of those, they transform right away and someone kills them, but there's still more wolves around. I thought that was interesting. I'm like, wow, he's really not a werewolf that long. Good call. Yeah. Caught me off guard. I hear you. That's great. Uh, I love the fact that you brought up, you know, that when we first see Jack after he's passed away and he comes to in a vision slash nightmare it's more of a vision i suppose in the sequence when david's still in the hospital and i think is that that's the scene you were talking about where he's eating the food and he yeah thought it was like fall through yeah. his open wound in his neck yeah and i just think it's funny because we have talked about that for like the mandela effect but as children it's just a testament to how our imagination runs away with itself I did the same thing with so many different 80s movies. Like I talked about the end of Victory, how I could have sworn they all got on buses. And I wasn't the only one. I spoke to another friend of mine. I don't know if it was online through messaging or whatever, but they said the same thing. Uh-huh. They thought they had gotten on buses as well. And I wonder if there was a different cut or I don't know. But your imagination just extrapolates because you're a kid. You're just it runs wild. That's why I believe so many of these films have had such a profound effect on us because we'd never seen anything like this before. You go with it and you start thinking about all the possibilities. It's just kind of a cool thing. And it's, it's fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the then and now thing. I totally get it. The makeup effects on Jack are great. The prosthetics, the he's all, he's mauled and he's just, he has these gaping wounds in his face and his neck and his shoulder. And he, you could see like pieces of his skin flapping around. Yeah. It's gruesome. But there's comedy, folks, mm-hmm. because of the way he's talking. Griffin Dunn, the actor playing Jack, the way he's speaking so matter-of-factly and just explaining to David what the situation is and what the lore of the werewolf is, and this is what you need to do. And then it's just off-putting. It's strange. It's off-kilter. And like I said, unbalanced. Uh, or make me makes me feel a little bit unbalanced. I'm also talking when I say unbalanced, talking about the overall tone of the film, and I can see how, as watching that in particular, like that scene as a kid, your imagination would just take you to different places. So, yeah. All right, so let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. So, uh, what are our some of our favorite scenes and moments from an American Werewolf in London? I love doing this podcast with you, Bill Banth. It's just fun to talk about. This is a great movie. So we were just talking about this very fact that David 
now has endured the attack from the werewolf. He lost his friend, Jack. Jack was killed. Now he wakes up in the hospital three weeks later. Yes. And his wounds have already been dressed. And the doctor comes to administer to him. We are also introduced to the attractive nurse, Alex Price. We've got uh, an American embassy representative. Mr. Collins comes in for a brief stint to say, uh, you know, we've your parents are aware that you're here and they're making sure everything's taken care of. And uh, that's an interesting little cameo by our buddy Frank Oz. And then David starts having nightmares. You know, you had talked about the one particular. We we know that he has a, a vision of himself running through a field. We see from his point of view, he's running through this grassy field, and then it cuts back to him in the hospital. Then a nightmare uh, ensues once again, and he's in the the forest. And you said, like you said, we see him in the hospital. He sees himself in the hospital bed being attended to by the nurse, and then there's the great close up on his face with the makeup on, and then he has. The craziest nightmare sequence when he's back at home and you see his little brother and little sister watching the Muppet show. It's yes. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. And then it, and his father is there with the kid watching the TV and there's a knock at the door. And it's just like this peaceful, warm setting inside the home. The father gets up to answer the door and who's at the door. But werewolves dressed up as Nazis with automatic weapons, Uzis, and they start lighting everybody up. They start shooting these guns. There's some great like stunts in this nightmare sequence. And I almost put this in one of my favorite scenes. This is just more like, I just got to talk about like, there's just so many moments within the scene. You've got a werewolf wearing a Nazi helmet and shooting the gun. It's just weird. You see the mother get shot and, I don't know if it was a wire thing. She, like she gets, oh, yeah. yanked, she gets yanked, yanked back, her, yeah, through the kitchen, yeah, so quickly. What a great effect! It's brutal. And this entire time, David is sitting at the dining room table with a knife at his throat. Yep, watching all this, screaming, watching his family get slaughtered by these Nazi werewolves. This is a nightmare sequence, by the way. So it's all in his head. What a crazy sequence! So I just want to give that a shout out real quick. Well, yeah, what's even crazy too is like he has a little brother and sister. They're maybe 10-ish, and you see them get gunned down. Oh, yeah. And at first, I'm like, you don't like see them get shot, but then there's a, a wide shot of the living room, and they're just shooting up the living room, and then you just see their little their little dead bodies lying there. I'm like, holy crap, that's rough. Oh, yeah. And then it ends with David getting his throat slit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's a very it. realistic effect. One of the more realistic ones yes. you've seen. Especially for that time period. No yeah. questions. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, that looked real. And it ends, yeah, it ends right on the slice. You literally see his neck start to open and then it cuts and you're like, holy crap, what the hell was I just watching for the last three minutes? That was yeah. nuts. It's very off-putting because it's so, it's very much like a nightmare that you would have, like a fever dream mm-hmm. that you would have because it's so, it has a real random feeling to it. Right. Because you understand that David lying in the hospital bed is having these you know nightmares because he's been scratched, he's been wounded, he's been touched by a werewolf. So now he's having dreams that would are like werewolf induced dreams, you know. And so werewolves will be in his nightmares, but this does have that true feeling of like 
just a mixture of so many random things that you, you know, when you wake up from a dream, right. Or a nightmare and you're like, yeah, why the hell was he or she in that dream or a family member was in that dream doing something really random with somebody that's completely unrelated. You know, that's that type of nightmare. And then to me, there was a scare right after that, that got me. Cause I, I wasn't expecting the follow-up to that dream. Oh, right. I, I, yes. Yeah. Thank you I, for, I totally, I totally yeah. forgot about that. And that, that got me that because that was he comes one. out of that dream and the nurse is by his bed. Right. Correct. And then she's like, Oh, I know what, just what to do. And she goes up to let some light into the room. She pulls the shades back from the window and there's a Nazi werewolf right yep. there. A jump scare comes through Kills the window her. and stabs her repeatedly. And then he wakes up again. Yeah. That one got, I just totally forgot about that part. That got me. That was a, whoa, crap. It's a good one. This is, it's a good one in this. Yeah. Part. Because it, you know, that scene is so freaky and he wakes up and you just kind of calm down as an audience member, like, oh, it's over, but it's not over. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You're back with the hot nurse. Everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. So for me, uh, one of my favorite scenes, and we kind of, touched on this already is Jack's initial visit with David in the hospital after he dies. So basically David's going through all these dreams. He doesn't know what's going on. He's been in the hospital a couple of weeks and all of a sudden he has this, like we say a dream, but it's technically a, a vision where Jack actually shows up and he looks like he did right after he got slaughtered by the wolf and explains to him what has now happened to David. He's telling David, like, you are now going to become, because you were attacked by this werewolf, or we were attacked by a werewolf, you will become a werewolf because you were attacked and you survived. Right. And what I need you to do is kill yourself. Oh, yeah. No problem. Because Uh, Why? Why again? Because now I'm going to walk the earth as, like, undead, and the only way I'm going to pass over is you got to kill yourself. Or you're going to cause harm to others. You're going to become a werewolf and you're going to start killing people too. So you need to nip this in the bud. Like you said, there's this attitude of just, in a way, accept it. He's not happy where he's at. He understands that David probably doesn't believe what he's saying, but he's got to resent the facts. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Griffin Dunn is quite good yes. in this scene. He, I think he's quite good throughout mm-hmm. the actor who plays Jack, yeah. And just the makeup is is amazing. Yeah. In that scene. So, I, yeah, I just like that scene because it really kind of sets you up for what the second half of the film is going to be. You're going to become a werewolf. You have this dilemma of you're going to have to take your own life or you're going to become a killing machine. So I'm like, you know, in the meantime, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm not quite dead. I'm not quite alive. I'm not passed over. Right. So it's two pronged. So it's, yeah, you, you need to kill yourself because... Otherwise, the undead will not rest. And also, because you will kill, is what he's saying. Yeah. It's putting a lot on David. It's a lot for David to, to take in. Yeah. That's another thing. Like, if I'm David and I see my best friend telling me, I got to kill myself, am I going to all of a sudden go, yeah, no, I'm not. No, I'm not going to try to kill myself. Sorry. Oh, sure. Right. I'd be in total disbelief. No. Exactly. I want to see this through. No, you're lying. Yeah. You're, you're just a dream. You're a vision. I don't let's wait. Let's just give it. Yeah. Let's give it a full moon and see what happens. <laughs> let's, let's give it a cycle. Yeah. Let's let it, uh, let's let the moon do its thing. And then no, it's great stuff. It's a great scene without a doubt. The makeup effects are startling and 
in the realism. They still hold up. You have to watch the scene twice, literally. And that's a testament and credit to Rick Baker and the makeup effects team that worked on this film. Because I couldn't keep my eyes off of the makeup. The first, I'm not listening to Jack. I'm just staring <laughs> at the makeup the whole time. Yeah. Just going, I'm looking for how bad does it look? And I'm trying to find flaws in it. And at the same time, admiring it going, oh man, this is gory. This is, ew, that looks like it hurts. I'm like, oh, you want to, yeah, you might want to have that looked at. And then I'm like, oh, I should be listening to what Jack is saying. This is important <laughs> so I have to get yeah. back and watch the scene again. But again, that's how good the makeup effects are. It's a great scene, Bill. It's a great scene. Let's get right into it, man. This is going to be, this is the big scene oh, yeah. that we both share as our, one of our favorite scenes. And that is the transformation. Yes. So we'll both have comments on this. I'll just say right off the bat, the boldness of this is admirable, meaning not only are you going to attempt a realistic transformation of a man morphing into a werewolf, but you're going to do it in a fully lighted apartment situation. This is all in the wide open and you can see everything. Mm -hmm. They don't attempt to hide things. Now there's trickery and editing, of course, and some other film effects, but still it's bold and it's awesome because it's still freaking good. It's still better than most uh, transform werewolf transformations and that are even done in the dark to cover up some of the flaws and the, the effects, whether it be makeup or practical or special effects. So it's awesome because I find most important actually about this is that once you actually can, you get beyond the special effects and the makeup effects is that it's because it is out in the open and in the light that you are forced to face it as an audience member. You can't get away from it. No, this is brutal. It's sudden when this transformation sequence happens, because we just, we see David, who's been pacing back and forth, he hasn't been able to eat. He's just not hungry. He has no appetite. He doesn't want to eat any like human food. He's walking around this apartment. He's feeling kind of, uh, I don't know if it's claustrophobic or, or uh, and he just doesn't know what to do with himself. And he's sitting down and he's trying to read this book. And then the full moon appears and just out of nowhere, he starts screaming. Mm-hmm. And then he's, he just loses his mind, stands up. He's just dripping with sweat immediately. You see his hair is all wet. and it's great. Credit to David Naughton playing David. So you're you're forced to face this as he's going through it. And you hear the bones cracking, the skin stretching, the teeth extending, the eyes bulging, the hair coming out of the epidermis. Like, it's just like you feel everything. The way that this transformation makes you feel. Because you are forced to watch the entire thing. And it is long. It's a long sequence for a transformation, but you are forced to empathize with David, in my opinion, because it looks effing painful. He is enduring trauma. To go through this process of transformation has to be brutal. So you do empathize with him and uh, it's off-putting. Again, credit to Rick Baker and the entire, all the effects people on this. They won the Academy Award. They created an award for this. That's how amazing it was. Take it away, Bill. Because of this movie, they created the best makeup effect award just because of how amazing this was. And they feel like it it needed to be honored. And to me, it is still the best werewolf transformation, I think, put to film. 
And what I love about it too is if you look at past werewolf films, it's usually a person, they just get really hairy. They're still bipedal. Like David turns into a wolf, a wolf, a right. four legged creature. Good point. Which yeah. you do not normally see in werewolf films. I mean, it's been copied ever since. Also, just like Jack at the beginning, where you know, you feel the pain that he's getting through being attacked. You feel that David is agonizing going through this transformation. This is one of the things like, I never want to be a werewolf if I have to go through this every time there's a full moon. This right. is freaking nuts. It's just so well done. It's not only hear the pain, just the shock. Like you just see the shock. Like he's like, oh my God, this is actually happening to me. I cannot believe what Jack said is correct. And he almost kind of says that at one point too, where it's like one of the last things he can almost remember before he transforms into this creature. Right. If anything, you just watch this one scene just for special effects. No question. What is the line that David says? He's saying it. I think he says almost something like he apologizes for calling Jack meatloaf or something. That's what it was. Yeah. Which is that weird comedy in the middle of an extremely dramatic sequence. Such a weird thing. I think it just helps the audience kind of take it down a lot because it's just so intense. It's traumatic. Yeah. And speaking of which, in the middle of the scene, sorry, I don't mean to cut you no, off. It's okay. Though. It's just when he turns over onto his back. So this is happening in nurse Alex's apartment, like in the little living room area between like the couch and a couple of chairs and stuff. And he's on the floor. He turns over onto his back as in the middle of the transformation. And he's almost, he's like three quarters wolf at this point, but you see him still look up like down at his body, like his stomach and his legs as his body is stretching. Yeah. That, oh, that freaks me out. Cause he looks up, like he looks down at his stomach and his leg and you can see because he's stretching out into an elongated wolf. It's creepy. Yeah. It's just, I just love that scene. I just, I I could just watch it all the time. It's great. And one of the great shots within this transformation sequence also is with the face elongation. Oh yeah. That looks cool. Because there's one, you know, when he's opening his mouth and you can see the teeth starting to, to kind of extend and they get sharp. Like you see it and you're like, and it's seamless. They're like, how are they doing this? This is, there's, I'm looking for the cuts and stuff. And then, but then there's like a profile shot and you see his skull and the mouth elongate. It extends outward and it's pretty smooth. It's pretty mm-hmm. crazy, man. It's intense. That's all you can say. It's super intense. I don't love the final look of the werewolf mm. because it almost seems a little bit different from what you see from the transformation. But I still yeah. always love the transformation. See, I, I'll disagree with you on there. I, I That's actually one of the things I really like. I actually think that the final, the wolf looks really cool because it's just, it's, it's so different. Mm-hmm. I can understand why you wouldn't like the final version of the werewolf. I actually think it's pretty cool, but it doesn't look like what he's turning into in, in this particular scene. Yeah, it's looks completely different yeah so that's a good point i'll take that did you any more comments on that particular scene no that's it just i just love it it's the best scene it's awesome well i'll jump into my my second favorite scene which is immediately following this pretty much because this is when he goes on a rampage goes on a killing spree and he's now the werewolf and so he goes out and he kills 
there's a couple walking along a street that's going to like a dinner party. He uh, kills them and that's brutal. And you see quick shots and you hear the roars and the teeth and the blood. And then he moves on to the subway station. I don't know if, does he kill the homeless people before the subway station or after? The subway station's last. Okay. So the subway station is, so now he's taken out five people. He's taken out the couple that was going to the dinner party. And then he takes out three homeless people somewhere along the water. And then he goes to a subway station. This is my actual second favorite scene. I love this shit. It's classic horror stuff. Yes. It's the fear of the unknown. You can't see it because the subway has left the station and there's one gentleman who is just standing uh, in the you know underground station and you see down the tracks and down the dark tunnel, you just see in the darkness, there's nothing but darkness. And then you hear the werewolf. That werewolf scream is awesome. It, the howling love, is yeah, awesome. I love that howl. I, me too, man. I put that in my notes. Absolutely. hundred percent. And the gentleman is like, stop messing around. You can't, you know, stop trying to skip whatever it is. You just cut it out. And you see from the reaction on the guy's face that he sees the wolf come out of the darkness. We don't see the wolf, but he clearly doesn't like what he sees and starts running. And it's one of those cool tracking shots. And you see it from in front of him and behind him where the camera is probably what, 20 feet or whatever in front of the guy as he's running down the tunnel mm-hmm. and you get that kind of cool, um, Tunnel. Well, it's tunnel vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a fisheye lens kind of. Right. Yeah. Where he's running down the tunnel, basically the uh, hallway through the subway station. And it's just a great shot. And then you see, like, you know, the wolf is chasing him. And then he finally trips over an escalator that's going up and he falls uh, face forward onto the escalator. And he's kind of incapacitated for a moment. And this is my favorite shot, man. I love oh, this. Too. And I think it's so smart. I wish they would freaking do this in so many other more movies because we don't need a close-up. We don't need to see it. It's much scarier. It's cooler. So the shot I'm talking about is from the top of the escalator. We see this businessman, the gentleman, he's fallen on the bottom of the escalator stairs with his briefcase and he's strewn about. And then you just see from the top edge of the frame, the werewolf creeps out. And so we don't see any crappy special effects or makeup effects. The wolf looks real. It looks like a creepy ass werewolf creature, wolf beast, just creeping into frame, edging ever so closely to the guy, to his prey laying at the bottom of the escalator. And I'm like, sold, done. I'm in. Awesome. That's all I needed to see. Thank you for doing that, John Landis and everyone involved with the film. That's what I want. That's scary. That's cool. Don't ruin it by some crazy close-up weird shot because you just you want to give the audience something or you want to please. No, this is this is better. This is a suspense on top of horror, the fear of the unknown. You can't really get a good look at it, but you know it's there and it's gonna kill you. I love that shot, man. So that's my second favorite scene. I had that down too. That is my favorite shot of the movie. Just the shot down the escalator. And I mean, you see the wolf for maybe three seconds, yeah. just enough to it. know that you're screwed. And Less I think is more. That's yeah. And I think that's the best shot of the wolf in the film also. 
I love that scene. That shot is just, you're just like, holy shit. Because it doesn't jump on him. It doesn't just jump on him and start mauling him immediately. It just takes its time. Mm-hmm. You just see him slowly walk up and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So Wilson, I was like, all right, you're next. I got you. So uh, another scene I just uh, shout out to. It's the next day. David's back into uh, human form. He realizes that he did become the wolf. He's killed these people and he doesn't know what to do. And he wants to turn himself on the police and tries to kill himself unsuccessfully. And of course he sees Jack again. Jack leads him into uh, this uh, X-rated movie theater and Jack introduces him to all of his victims. And now all these people are now the undead. Good call. Great scene. Yeah. And the subway guy just lays into him. He's like, now my wife's a widow. My kids are fatherless. It's an effective moment. Yeah. Basically like freaking kill yourself, freaking kill yourself. I'm pissed. And of course, Jack's like, hey, hey, calm down. You know, it's my friend here. You know, he's, he's, right. he's, got, he's got some issues. So, yeah, it kind of. And Jack, like, did you say this? Or like, excuse me. But yeah, Jack is fully decomposed almost at this point, oh, which yeah. is a great makeup effect. Because yeah. we've seen this is the third time now that we've seen Jack mm-hmm. talk to David. And Jack has been decomposing basically throughout. Yeah, so the rapidly. first time we saw him with his fresh wounds, the second time he's kind of. He's like uh, his skin is grayed and green and he still has the wounds, but they're not as bloody anymore. He just looks dirty. And then in this scene that you're talking about, he's almost skeletal. Yeah. His flesh is basically all rotting off at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty quick decomposition, which I like and I don't like the effects are awesome. But I'm just like the fact that it happens over three days that quickly. That's kind of like, <laughs> eh, that's kind of weird. And then it kind of gets a little light where all of his victims are kind of trying to give him advice on how he should kill himself, which is, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, David. I mean, he's just, he's just a mess right now. Oh my God. I'm it's six today. How many is it going to be tomorrow? How many is it going to be the, you know, I'm just going to have groups of people now visiting me all the time that I kill. When, like when you think about like, Oh my God, what, what could this actually become? Like that theater at some point could become full of people that he has killed. And they're all living in this state of undead. But then there's the admonishment aspect and the comedic aspect to it. Yeah, it's a it's a wacky scene. I always kind of like I always just kind of was funny because like you have the wife and she's just all like perky, like, yeah, you could just blow your brains out. That would just, you know, that'd be a good idea. Right. Yeah, I kind of like that scene. It's like you said, in a tonal aspect, it is kind of unbalanced, but I think it's a fun scene. Yeah. It's Again, it's just, it's off-putting. It's crazy. I put that down too, Bill. So it's a great call. It's a great call because David's got a, he's forced to face the six victims and Jack is sitting there and there's some light comedy, but it's macabre. It's dark. It's morbid. So you're not quite sure how to feel about it because the tone is all over the place, which is my whole kind of thing with this movie. And on top of it, they're in a porn theater. Yeah, they're in a porn theater, yes. So there's an adult film, which on top of it, the film within the film. So this is a there's a porn film that's happening, adult film, and they cut away to the film. Yes. And it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm worried. I'm I actually put this in my notes. I'd like to see that porn because it's a total like 70s style porn. You can see or like early 80s. Obviously, this is 81 when this movie comes out, but 
you know, the girl's got the feathered hair and it's kind of a cheesy setting, but there's this comedic moment within the porn movie where I'm like, that's funny. So there's this weird, again, there's a tonal shift. Like what's, what's going on in this movie? Yeah. Cause it's a really funny movie. The porn movie. I'm like, I would be interested in seeing a really funny porn movie. That's cool. That's, that's actually some smart com- comedy in there. Um, so between the makeup effects are talking about, they're discussing how David should kill himself. He's dealing with that. You have the porn sound effects happening in the background. Yes. It's all the juxtaposition of everything is very off-putting. So take it or leave it. I don't know. It's it's a it's a jumble of stuff go, things going on. And it's yeah, because then after that it gets real serious because oh yeah, all of a sudden it's nighttime again, time to transform, and you're just like, all right, hard time. It's great. Um, well, speaking of which, we'll just get to the that's my um my third uh favorite scene is what happens right after it's the finale. Cause I love it. Uh, I love it. It's gore. It's crazy. I love the action. The, it's complete chaos because David, we have back-to-back nights of the full moon, I guess, which doesn't occur according to my research, but mm-hmm. regardless, it happens. And he transforms once again, and he kills people in the theater. They close the doors to the theater or the, the gate that slides down and he bursts through the gate immediately clutching the the neck of the inspector with his jaw and biting his head off. The inspector's head goes flying. Cars are crashing. Bodies are going through windshields. People are getting run over. A cop is smashed in between cars. People are screaming and running. And we see this wolf just like trotting through the chaos. It's fucking awesome to me it is cool say what you want to say about the way the wolf looks i don't care he looks like a big fuzzy gray thing with a weird face but i think it's awesome just because it gave me chills man because i'm like this is total chaos you've got a werewolf running through the streets of piccadilly and it's crazy Mm -hmm. and it all leads to an absolutely tragic end because he has to die. And I have some issues with the scene as well. Things that I just, I want more. I want more of this because, right. and because then it ends and it's kind of smash cut like to credits with another version of the song blue moon. Yep. And it's all upbeat, upbeat. And it's like, Oh my God, we just watched our werewolf slash David, whom is confronted finally by his newfound love nurse, Alex price. And she says, I love you. And we see some recognition from the werewolf who is David. And then he goes to, he lunges towards her and the cops shoot him dead. And then he transforms back into human form and he's got the bullet holes in him. And then the upbeat music kicks in and the credits kick in. You're like, what the fuck? It's very abrupt. Perfect word. It's extremely abrupt, but completely chaotic. I love the entire sequence when the werewolf comes out, goes on the attack in the streets. It's just like, yeah, man, wreaking havoc. And it's good horror. There's some good gore. There's some good dummies flying around. <laughs> now there's some oh, yeah. uh, great screaming, good werewolf action. So, yeah, first, like kudos to that cop that goes in the theater and <sighs> sees and has the frame of mind to know to get the hell out of there and close that door. 
Yeah, that's and again a weird. I made a comment about he's looking at these a pile of bloody bodies that have been mauled and gored. You still hear the porn sound effects in the background. I'm going. This is so freaking weird. It's yeah. so disturbing. It's very disconcerting. And then just all the stupid people surrounding the theater. I'm mm-hmm. like, can you hear? There's is- something on the other side of that smashing through the door. They're mobs. They're collect. Yeah. There's a mob collected outside the theater. I'm like, what are you guys? What? go away <laughs> yeah and the police officer is trying to tell him to back up and then hold the door at the same time it's a great shot when the werewolf bursts through that door oh yeah it happens really quickly i think i thought that was pretty effective like he really goes right through it and yeah well, yeah you're totally right surprised by it yeah cool stuff man yeah that really was cool good. stuff that love that ending. ending yeah all right so let's uh move on to our next segment which is our swiss cheese and complaints department and oh, you know what? Sorry, Bill. I, oh, I'm going to put a little tag on. I'm going to say I have a love-hate relationship with the, the ending, meaning the very end of the movie. But I don't want to skip the, the music segment real quick. Oh, okay. Uh, just because I want to give a shout out to our guy, Elmer Bernstein, who did the, the music for this film. Obviously, the most notable music from this film are the actual lyrical songs, which all have the word moon in them. But Elmer Bernstein did the actual orchestral score for this film. Um, doesn't particularly stand out because of the lyrical songs I mentioned, but there's some good horror music in here. If you're not familiar, Elmer Bernstein's an all-timer, did most of, if not like a lot of John Landis's films. Do yourself a favor, pause this podcast right now, go and listen to the theme from The Magnificent Seven, then listen to the theme from Stripes, and then you'll understand who Elmer Frickson Bernstein is, and you're welcome. Animal House, Meatballs, The Great Santini, Airplane, Stripes, Trading Places, Thriller, Michael Jackson's Thriller, Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, Legal Eagles, Three Amigos, just to name a few of Elmer Bernstein's scores. I just want to give a shout out to Mr. Bernstein. All right. So let's try this again. So on to our next segment, which Sorry. is, it's okay. <laughs> so Swiss Cheese and Complaint Department. And why do we call it Swiss Cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have gory, bloody holes. And if it's not something Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. Um, So, Jason, what do you have for uh, some Swiss cheese or you got some complaints? Well, I didn't have any actual Swiss cheese holes until we started discussing Jack. Because now I've got a question and I'm going to ask you if this is a hole. Because when Jack first appears to David in the vision in the hospital, David's having a nightmare slash vision. Jack appears with the fresh wounds and he looks gross. And he explains to David that you need to die. You have to die. Otherwise, I'm going to walk around undead. And the, the werewolf that kills people, those people will walk around undead until the werewolf dies. And then they will no longer be in purgatory, basically. Yeah. Well, the werewolf that killed Jack is dead. It's a bloodline thing. That's why. Right. Okay. Thank you. So I guess I wasn't listening closely enough. I think he does say that. Is that correct? Is that, does Jack actually say that? Yeah. So if, right. If the werewolf werewolf had killed David also, then, and then the werewolf got killed, was died. It'd be over. Yeah. Well, the movie would be over. I gotcha. So as long as, so even, so all the people that the original werewolf from the beginning of the movie had killed, they're all still undead as well. 
Correct, because he Jack kind of mentions that it's like you know how boring it is talking to other corpses. To another corpse, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, thank you for so you just answered it. Okay, you filled that hole then. Yeah, that makes sense. So in a way, technically, but I think Jack knows this from being dead. Like, even if David had killed himself, if there if that werewolf had injured someone else, then I think Jack still would have been alive regardless. And that right. there was another werewolf running around, but I think Jack knows like. David is the end of that bloodline. And if he kills himself, then all these people can finally. That's the whole point. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And that totally makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I had more of an issue of the the Jack decomposing thing. Cause I really thought like the first time we see Jack should have been, he should have looked like what he did the second time and then kind of stayed that way. Unfortunately, not kept decomposing more, but the effect's so cool. You wanted it in there. Yeah. But like we're logically to think that it's been three weeks and that means Jack has been in the grave for three yeah. weeks. Yes. And he, his body wouldn't decompose quite at that. Right. It's like a really rapid. Rate. Right. Or he should have just stayed how he was when he got slaughtered. Mm-hmm. But the effects is way too cool. Out of the three, I like the second one the best. To be honest, the three okay, incarnations. Yeah. The, my second one's the favorite because that almost seems like you're underground, buried, and that's what you would kind of look like after. Sure, yeah, I like that one from for a comedic effect actually as well. Oh, the the second one or the last one? The second one. Second one. The third one's funny because he's skeletal and you hear his voice, but it doesn't make sense. Like, how could he even really speak? Uh, it it looks funny. It is that's funny too. The third one is funny. The shot of him outside of the theater looks pretty cool. It looks kind of real. And then when he's in the theater, you know, it's kind of like a puppet, mm-hmm. but the movement's pretty good. It is. Yeah. 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 It matches um, his voice really well. It, it's a cool effect, but you definitely know it's not him. Right. Right. I agree with that whole. Yeah. There's no way he would decompose that quickly over a matter of a couple of days or whatever it is. So did you have any other holes? Yeah. Tell me about your holes, Bill. Where the hell is David's family? Oh, God. Yeah, I put that in my notes later on. I mean, if someone calls me and tells me my son or daughter was attacked in another country, uh, I'm out there by the bedside. You know, I'm figuring out a way to get out there. three weeks. What does it even mean when Frank Oz, who we love, who plays Mr. Collins, is supposed to be the American embassy representative, comes in and is like, your family's been notified and all of your affairs are in order. It doesn't make, what does that mean? Like, it doesn't even, how is his family not there or one of his family members not there? Or doesn't reach out to him at any point until he tries to call them, which is kind of a sad little scene. I wrote, I, that's all I could think. It was like, I actually, I'll just jump. My note was, Hey David, good that you're getting it on with the hot nurse. Why don't you call your family? Yes. Yeah. Or even if they just mentioned like your parents were here, they had to go back. They're on their way there. Yeah. It, I would forgive that. It was like, you know, Hey, you got two little kids at home. You got jobs. You don't know he's conscious. You know, the doctor could be like, yeah, he could be this like this for a while. All right. I'm going to go home. As soon as my son wakes up, notify I'm on the next plane. Right. So this is actually two pronged for me because a, you're absolutely right. Why isn't his family there or on their way? Cause it's been three weeks. B why, as soon as he gets out of the hospital, why isn't he on the first plane? Yeah. Home? What is he still doing out there? I understand the nurse is hot. Don't get me yes. wrong. 
But to live with her in her apartment and just be like, yeah, no, this is, I'm going to chill with you for a little bit, mm-hmm. just for a little bit. Then I'll, my family will be there. They'll be there. I'll call them. No, 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 no. It's not how that works. I mean, it would be a different movie, like, a you know, American Werewolf on Pan Am, but who cares? <laughs> I didn't get that either. We only see your family in a dream sequence, which we're assuming it's your family. Cause I know sometimes when you dream, people look a little bit different than right. you remember them, but. And then he finally does call his family and see, and I have, yeah. Okay. Right. Cause that's right. Before it, he's going to kill himself. Right. And that that's could like have been combined. something much more. And it would have been more impactful. And I have a whole, that's my, I'll get to that later. Cause I thought that could have been a really, really impactful sequence or scene of him calling home. But does he even give a shit about his family until that point? He just seems to be all he cares about is getting laid. Yeah. Well, it's at that age, I guess it makes sense, but still, <laughs> still, which brings up another question. How old is he supposed to be? Okay. So I know when they filmed this, he was 30, but I think it's supposed to be that I just got out of college. I'm going backpacking. So he's supposed to be 22, 23. I think Griffin Dunn was 26. But yeah, they're yeah, supposed I to be the early, they're supposed early to be in the early tw- yeah, early twenties. Yeah, I, I don't know. Call your family, dude. Yeah. Come on. I'm on, I put it on the parents too though. Yeah. Parents, fly out, make a phone call, do something. I put it on John Landis. John Landis, write something in there. Come on. Yeah. Write something in there. Anyway, good stuff. Did you have any other uh holes? Yeah. I just went right into issuing complaints. That's okay. All right, so one more Swiss cheese is, okay, so David goes through the transformation scene. He's a werewolf in the apartment. And I know people are like, oh, well, the door was open, so he went through the front door. Okay, I'll give you that. But Alex comes back to the apartment, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to tell me the werewolf did no damage to the apartment, and wouldn't she find David's ripped shirt and pants and underwear? Sitting on the middle of the floor, at the least. No, sure. At the least. A ripped shirt, pants and underwear, on the floor. David's missing. Wouldn't you find that a little odd? He shows up the next day in just a jacket. And you're just like, oh, he's just been out all night. He doesn't remember what happened. Everything's okay. That just seems He looks pretty good. He's not that dirty either. You know, he's pretty good. No. Pretty clean for the most part. Well, here's, you have to understand, Bill, that although... He is transformed into a wild, ferocious, uh, man-eating creature. Bull in this a china shop kind of particular thing. werewolf actually happens to be very respectful of people's personal property. This particular werewolf is not clumsy, is very nimble and deft, and uh, is able to navigate an apartment quite well. And that's just how it is. It's called suspension of disbelief, Bill. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Okay. Yep. Picks up his clothes. Absolutely. Folds them neatly. You know, might even do a little vacuuming, dusting, spray a little Febreze. Yeah. Animal leaves a bit of a scent. You know, this particular werewolf happens to be very polite besides slaughtering. Yeah. Several human beings. That's true. He's a guest. So he should be respectful. He's a guest. He should be respectful. (laughs) Guest werewolf. Yes. I love it. That's my Swiss cheese. I oh, totally agree. You have to be a little more suspicious. What do you got for complaints? You I got a some compl- complaints. Well, here, it's more of a, actually, uh, this is kind of a, a question 
Okay. Sort of complaint all in one. Why does East Proctor want to keep the werewolf situation a secret? Think about it for a second. Now, we understand it's not necessarily something they want to broadcast, that they've got a fantastical beast running around the moors, killing their own. But why protect the secret? What is the danger of people finding out? Because they, I would imagine they want to kill the werewolf, right? They would want to put an end to this sort of curse. Yes. I think it's just, I don't think anybody would believe them. If I told you a werewolf was running around your neighborhood, would you believe me? Would anybody believe it? Yeah, that's a loaded question, Bill, because I know you. <laughs> I mean, like, Bill, Bill, let's sit down. I know you you want this to be real. Look, I get that. I just was like, I wish, here's my point in the end. I'll just get to it, is that I would, would like to know more. I would have loved to know a little bit more about this town. Not that it was absolutely necessary, but in my version, which we'll get to of this movie, there have been more like may how this town is maybe cursed or a little bit more just background on East Proctor, how the werewolf came to be, how it existed, who the werewolf, who was it? Yeah. That they killed. Cause you see it briefly. I'm like, yeah. is it someone they actually know? And is there more to the secret? Like the secret has levels. Like what is, if that's not just the secret, the fact that there's a werewolf, but, What's the real secret behind it? Is there a connection between the werewolf and do they, or do they feel as though they're responsible for the werewolf and the killings and that they don't want to be held responsible? You know what I mean? Like I was hope, you know, I would like to know a little bit more as to like, maybe the secret is even darker that they're trying to hide. Cause I, I would just be like, yeah, Hey, help us kill the werewolf. We got a werewolf in our town. Come in, come bring the kit. We'll get, bring the cavalry. Anyway, food for thought. I was thinking like, oh, there'd be a nice little story. Or maybe they want how, how we got to that point. Maybe they want to be left. Well, they don't want strangers to come in because they think they'll just be lambs to slaughter. Right? Slaughtering lamb. Uh-huh. I would think because they have all that sheep there. I'm like, wolf's got to be picking those sheep off left and right. It's got to be killing your livelihood. Right. See, now that would be the thing. Like, that's part of uh, that's another movie that I'm trying to think of. But like, let's say they're trying like they're bringing the sheep. Oh, it's like like Dragon Slayer. Like they're feeding the virgins to the dragon. Right. Yeah. Vermithrax. But in this fiction, it's like, are they bringing the sheep to the slaughter? They're feeding the werewolf to keep the werewolf at bay because otherwise the werewolf will kill everyone in the town or, you know, whatever it is. I just thought that would be cool. It'd be cool. Yeah, I was kind of interested in that, too. How long has the werewolf been there? How long do they know about this? Is it just a bloodline thing? Do they actually even know who the werewolf is or have an idea who it is? It's just funny that David and Jack show up to the pub and they're like, oh, we don't want to talk about the werewolf. And then they leave and they're like, oh, we should go tell them about the werewolf. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why did they just tell them, hey, guys, this is bad area. Don't go out there. Don't. I mean, they warn them. Yeah, and then they, they seem to easily kill it. You could have just set up some sheep in the middle of the town, just let the werewolf come in and just boom, boom, done. Yeah. So David finds out he's the werewolf. You know, he finds out that from the cab driver that six people have died. He puts one and one together. He realizes, wolf. he's going to turn himself into the police. Try harder. 
to get, I would have popped that officer right in the face. Yeah. That's kind of where that, what the instinct is there. Hit the cop, hit the cop, get yourself arrested. Sure. Get yourself in a jail cell and hope they don't put anybody in there with you and go from there. He just does not try hard enough to get himself arrested. I'm like, you know, you can't kill yourself. You just can't do it. And I get it. Even after he did something that horrific, you got to get yourself arrested. You got to get yourself put away. And he didn't do enough to spouting out saying derogatory things is not going to do it. Punch the cop in the face. Agreed. Good call. Uh, here's a little complaint. I have, Scotland Yard is useless, apparently. Uh, the inspectors come in to talk to David. And granted, it's been three weeks and they've already, I guess, been to the where the, the pub is and did some interviewing. And they seem to have wrapped things up. And I don't. it was just like I didn't understand why the inspectors were even there. It seemed like. Yeah. And they tried to do a little bit of a comic relief bit with the like the deputy, the second in charge does a little bit of physical comedy in the doctor's office where he knocks over some of the aluminum like bedpan trays yeah and does kind of a, a physical comedy thing it reminded me of almost like a inspector clouseau moment yeah and he and he's funny i think that actor actually is funny he has a great reaction when he turns around after he puts all the pans uh, the trays to back together and then he kind of looks around the room like as if People will forget what just happened. This clumsy thing he just did. So that, but it's just kind of out of place. It's weird. Didn't know why that was necessary. Yeah. I was hoping more for him to do the further investigating than the doctor. I thought they were kind of going there because second in charge inspector kind of alludes to the fact that David might have something more to say about you. Know, like he is making sense. Yeah. He actually has a case versus the lead inspector who's like, no, this is all we figured it all out. We know it was a, an escaped lunatic mm-hmm. that committed the crime. The inspectors, that was weird in this movie. Yeah. So that's a Scotland Yard inspector's complaint of mine. I agree. In this movie. There's some random stuff in this movie, which I wish they had expounded upon or spent a little more time with. I, one of my complaints is I thought there was just too much time spent in the hospital in general. 20 minutes of this movie seems to happen in the hospital. I understand that David had some, has some nightmare sequences and some visions, and we get to the introduction or the beginnings of the relationship between David and Nurse Price, but it just felt like we're spending too much time in the actual hospital. That was a complaint of mine. And then with Nurse Price, also then like these little side sequences within the hospital that go away from David, with the doctor is dealing with some other guy and also... We have a scene with Nurse Price talking to one of the orderlies, and then Nurse Price also goes to the bedside of the young Indian boy who no. just says no to everything. No. Yeah. Didn't know how that moved the story forward. I didn't understand those scenes. No, I agree too. That scene made no sense. And they go back to it. Like she goes back to that same kid. Cute kid. Yeah. They're fine. It's fine. It's just like the boy is fine. And it's a, I, but it doesn't serve the story. I think with at least the, orderly that's when you start getting the first impression that she has a thing for him because he's she's specifically asking about him right point taken but yeah not needed per se and i didn't think about it until you said it yeah they do spend too much time in the hospital it could have been more of he gets released earlier because then would give you more time to see london 
the two of them forming their relationship outside of the hospital. But the whole time in the back of his head, he's thinking, oh, my God, you know, full moon's like four days away or three days away instead of being two days away. The hospital is only interesting to a certain point. Yeah. Visually, from a storytelling aspect, there's only so much you can do with David lying in a hospital bed. Uh, Let's get him out of the bed and out and about. Yeah, because he could have the nightmares anywhere. You could have the running joke of always the animals fearing him. Well, that was another complaint. And I'll jump to this when he's kind of trapped in Alex's apartment when she goes back to work and he's just hanging out. So, quote unquote, I guess, recovering, you know, whatever it is. And he's walking around his T-shirt and jeans and he's feeling cooped up. He looks in the fridge, but he's not hungry. And then we've got uh, CCR playing in the background, which is his upbeat song. But then he just paces back and forth like 10 times in one shot. It's really that was weird. That was another complaint of mine. Like that's why I was kind of thinking, Tim. Like, go out. Exactly. Get him out. Let's get him out. Out and about. What? Ha- what's his interaction like now? How is he feeling? What's going? Run this. What's running through his veins at this point? And we do see a little bit of it with the dogs barking at him, or some other ways that the upcoming transformation has transformed him in the present. Mm-hmm. Like for some reason, you know, maybe has heightened hearing. Yeah, his senses are enhanced. Yeah. Right. It's it's yeah. It's almost like he's being prepped. Because right. Because he kind of talks about it after he transforms how he feels reinvigorated, feels like an athlete, because he has the injuries. And then when he transformed back, I thought it would have been cool if like all his injuries were gone. So that would have been oh, like yeah. another sign. Yeah, it has healing properties. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked that too. I don't know if I even paid attention to that. Did he still have the scar on his face? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. How about that? I did not catch that. That's a good catch there. Yeah, he should have totally been, uh, he should have healed. Yeah, only because I've I've read that in books that have come out since where, you know, people get injured and then they become the wolf. And then when they transform back, they're completely healed from any previous ailments or wounds that they've had. Yeah, gotcha. Because of the healing processes of the wolf. Well, here, you know, we just talk about moving the story for, you know, this as a writer as well, because I talked about the random sequences between Nurse Price and the young Indian boy in the hospital, which just, just didn't seem to have the place. But we ta- I just mentioned the inspectors, which seemed a little useless. Now, that's another thing. Like, if you're not going to have David out and about, then let's expound upon some of these other side characters and what is their purpose in the story. But the inspectors, that might have been cool because they talked about how or the doctor had mentioned that obviously David's been in the hospital for three weeks and his wounds have already been dressed. There seems to almost be like a cover-up happening. Correct. We know that East, is it Prescott, that town? Mm-hmm. Like they're covering up the secret. They're hiding it. And what if the inspectors are also in on it? Right. Like they're all trying to cover this whole thing. I don't know if this has like a Sleepy Hollow like connect, like right. comparison here too, somewhere in all of this, but similar you know what i mean like there's something deeper at play like everybody like one of them has a relative in the town so they know what is going on out there right and they don't want what happened to david to expose them Mm -hmm. so they're all in on it like that could have that's a little more interesting to me so first of all i'm going to go back to being in the hospital that scene when he sees jack which it was one of your favorite scenes this is i'm i don't I'm going to nitpick this. I agree with you for all the reasons why it's awesome, but this is where I felt like some of the the tonality is just unbalanced for me because you have the element of horror with the makeup effects and the gore, 
wonderful performance by Griffin Dunn. But then some of the lines are a little bit slightly comedic because, like you said, he talks about he's now one of the undead. And you know how boring it is talking to another corpse and things like that. But he's telling David that he has to commit suicide. This is heavy. Some of the information he's relaying is heavy. Behind all this, you have Elmer Bernstein's score, which is very haunting, which I enjoyed. But the information that is being relayed and how it's being relayed in moments as comic relief. Again, it's very, it's strange. I just, some of it doesn't work for me. It's because it's just all over the place. That's what I kept writing down is like, this is all over the place. I don't know what to feel in this moment because it's too quick. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of funny. Oh, now it's serious. Oh, that's light. This is weird or, you know, strength. Oh God, that's horrific. I'm being asked to switch gears so quickly emotionally that I get confused or I feel that disorienting or unbalanced feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause I think Jack understands I'm trapped in this undead realm. I need to tell my best friend as a dead person, what's going on. Sure. He's not going to believe me. I think he knows that going in. And I think that comes across in his attitude towards this. He's like, I'm telling you this, you're going to take it with a grain of salt, but you need to know. So please follow my advice. I know you're not going to. It's like talking to your kids. So I think that's kind of where it it comes across. So he's just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm going to tell him, you're going to be a werewolf. You're going to kill people. I appreciate that kind of nonchalant, straightforward, or matter-of-fact delivery. Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be a more, just for me, a more specific choice. Either let's go for the comedy here or go for a a darker thing. It's a, I know it's a fine line to walk, but I think if there were a more like a specific choice is made in particular scenarios or scenes in this film, it would have been more effective. I mean, I see where where you're coming from. A few more lines of comedy maybe from Jack in that scene. Like, Hey, I know I'm all messed up, but Mm -hmm. I know I've looked better or whatever. Say something like to be self-deprecating or whatever, uh, even more to make it a little more comical or lighthearted in a way. And then it takes it. It's a soft touch, man. It takes a real finesse that's required to walk that line with the horror and the comedy to pull it off. I mean, we talk about it a little bit with Evil Dead, too. Right. Yeah. Uh, It's hard to pull off. It doesn't always work. Yeah, because that scene could be really dark, really, really dark. And that yeah. would work too. Really scary. Yeah. I like the way they did it. Yeah. See, I, right. I think well, there's a, it's a matter of, yeah, a matter of taste, mm-hmm. you know, as well. All right. Here's a complaint, Bill Bat. Go for it. Dude, this is one of the worst shower sex scenes I've ever seen, man. That was too long. All that was too long. <laughs> it's not sexy. No. I was just like, we just move along. And supposedly, there's like stuff that was cut out. Like John Landis wanted more of this. This there's supposed to be a really intimate uh sex scene here. And I, I thought for a second that actually Alex, the nurse, I thought she was a werewolf for a minute because it seems like she's trying to chew David's shoulder off in the shower. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't know what was up there. I thought about it that. was sexy for the first couple bites when she's kind of kind of like giving him a little nibble on the shoulder. Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh no, we're holding on this. She's just gonna keep nibbling. Yeah, she's gonna keep she <laughs> really finds that shoulder tasty. And then at the end, I was like, oh, did you just put a little werewolf baby in there? 
uh, wolf baby. That would have been cool if the movie ended and then you see Jack and he's like, why am I still here? Right. And then, and then it just pans to her and then boom, there's your ending. See, that's cool. I like that. Little werewolf baby. Yeah, there's some, there's some really random shit in this movie, man. When he's cooped up at the apartment, he f- turns on her TV. First of all, shout out to the Dark Championships. I used to watch that stuff late night, like on ESPN or ESPN2. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's hilarious. All the guys drinking beer and cheering on guys throwing darts. You never think that would be much of a spectator sport, but I loved watching that shit. At least show a better guy he goes 25 five. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> show me a 20, 20, 20 guy or the triple. Get the triple. Right. 20. I was but like, when you see the good. guys that are really good playing. Oh my like, God. Amazing. Awesome. Just racking up the points. It's yeah. the accuracy, the position. Yeah. It's great stuff. But then it cuts to that weird commercial, which is like a parody, like about oh, like, a like, news, the- like a tabloid thing doing an expose of naughty Nina. Yes. And I was like, what is this? What? It was like a rejected clip from a Kentucky Fried Movie or something like that. Oh, com- yeah, cool. right? Yeah. And that's one of those things in this movie where I'm like, there's such a random feeling to it. Like, let's just throw this in here because it's supposed to be disturbing or throw you off. And again, it works for you or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny. I totally forgot about that until you brought it up. Yeah, that's it's forgettable. It's not needed. That's it. That's all I got for complaints. I'm going to shut the F up now. Do you have any other complaints, man? No, I'm good. Let's move on. All right. So let's move on to, hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. So I'll go first on this one because I know Jason always has the backup. Um, so my hey is that actor is David Schofield, who was the dart player at the Slaughtered Lamb. It's kind of weird. Like for the next after this movie, for the next like 20 years, he did a ton of television. And then 20 years ago, all of a sudden, big movies. He was um known as Falco in Gladiator. He was um McQueen in From Hell. And then I guess really his big role was um, in the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. So he was in the first three movies as Mr. Mercer. So he was one of the ones that was always chasing after Jack Sparrow. Oh, sure. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's uh, David Schofield. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Very recognizable. Yeah. The last like 20 movie, 20 years, all of a sudden he's like, yeah. And all these, you know, character roles and all these big films really between this movie in 81 until 2001, all he was doing was television. I don't think he did another movie until Gladiator. Yep. So that's my uh, Hey, It's That Actor, David Schofield. That's great. My Hey, It's That Actor is Brian Glover, who plays the chess player in the pub. Oh, he was on my list. And I immediately, when he started talking, I was like, oh my goodness, I know him. Why do I know him? He's a bad guy in something and something. Thing. And then- I'm like, oh, and then it finally hit me. And of course, I was all proud of myself. And it was just so totally random. But this is why I recognized him, because he is the character Andrews in Alien 3. Yes. uh, Or Alien Cubed. He um, is basically, he runs the penal colony on the planet. And he's a bad dude. Like, he's he's just nasty in that movie. But memorable. Mm -hmm. He just has a way of speaking. He has the accent. 
but the way his mouth is like the way he forms words and the way he sounds is why I reckon it. Cause as soon as he started talking, I was like, ah, I know this voice. Why? Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I know his look too. I need to see his face. I'm like, okay, what if he was a little older? And then it finally dawned on me. And so, yeah. And I actually sort of, I, I, I'd have to admit, I kind of, there's a lot of things I like about alien three and I know that's not a popular opinion, but speaking of other unpopular sequels, I'm going to admit right now that I do like Thor, the dark world and also quantum of solace. I, I will admit that. Wow. Yeah, I do. I like just, both those. Just movies. confessing on the pod. I am. I'm going to come out. This is my confessional. So yeah, Brian Glover. Uh, you can look at his IMDb. It's done a lot of stuff, but Andrews and Alien Three. But he's great because he comes back again in this movie. He has a couple of good scenes in this as the chess player. Yeah, he's got a great voice too. And I thought for sure he'd be in bigger stuff because there's just something about him. Like I could always yeah. see him playing that kind of role. And a ton, just that small little role in a ton of films. Kind of yeah, a I prick, think, kind yeah. of a like know it all, like a blowhard. Yeah, authoritarian asshole. But would be taken down a couple pegs probably by somebody at some point. Totally. Yeah. The more I watch Alien 3, the more I, I kind of like it too. I mean, it's nowhere near the first two, but. No, of course not. No. I think it's good. Yeah, and it has Charles Dance in it, man, from For Your, uh, for your Eyes Only. Yep. Let's move on to facts and trivia. What facts and trivia do we have about an American werewolf in London? John Landis wrote the first draft of the screenplay for the film in 1969. Prospective financiers believe that Landis' script was too frightening to be a comedy film and too humorous to be a horror film. But after the success of Kentucky Fried Movie and Animal House and the Blues Brothers, uh, Landis was able to secure financing. Don't throw away those old scripts. They may turn around what your career turns around. Oh, yeah. In connection to this also, uh, because I had mentioned the Blues Brothers, Universal Studios execs, according to the research I read, they were pressuring John Landis to cast Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi as as David and Jack in this movie. But Landis went with unknown actors instead at the time. That would have been horrible. Mm -hmm. That would not have worked at all. That would have been horrible. All right. For me, this was kind of interesting. And this changed the whole werewolf mythology on its on its head. So, all right. A full moon happens roughly every 29 and a half days. Technically, the point at which the moon is full lasts only an instant. So really, a werewolf should only happen like once. So to the naked eye, though, the moon can appear to be full for upwards of three days. So when we see a full moon, yeah, we think it happens a couple of days. Hence why David turned into a werewolf the second night. Okay. Cause gotcha. it, it looks full to us, but technically it is not correct. So a full moon could technically happen in the middle of the day. So you could become a werewolf. It doesn't have to be at night. It could have been in the middle of the afternoon. I would almost like to see a werewolf movie like that now, where it's like the technical point when the moon becomes actually full you become a werewolf. So you know every 29 and a half days for those 24 hours or whatever, you're you're a werewolf. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Little moon knowledge. Yeah, little moon knowledge. That's good to know. Yeah, it's like the Christopher Nolan version would get really detailed. Oh, yeah. To the, when there's actually a full moon and that it could happen during the day. That would be awesome. 
to get really yeah. super detailed and tech. Cause I, that's what I was wondering is that like technically can a full moon happen on back-to-back nights because David transforms back-to-back right. nights. Yeah. So technically now uh, other fun facts and trivia. There was a remake slash reboot planned. Uh, John Landis' son, Max Landis had confirmed in 2017, late 2017 on Twitter that he completed the first draft of the script. But uh, let's just say that didn't all work out. Uh, in November of 2019, Variety reported that Robert Kirkman, creator of the Walking Dead comic book series, was in consideration to serve as a producer for a new reboot of An American Werewolf in London. Needless to say, yeah, a remake has been in the talks for some time. Surprise, surprise. Right. Um, so Rick Baker, who did the amazing special effects for this film, actually played one of the Nazi werewolves in the nightmare sequence. He is the one that slashes David's throat. Yep. Which is good. I guess if you want to have someone slashing your throat, you want the special effects guy who knows what he's doing to do it. <laughs> so I, I would feel a lot more comfortable, even though I know I have a prosthetic on my neck and the knife is fake. I'd rather have the guy who does special effects slashing my throat. So that's good to know. Absolutely. Speaking of Rick Baker, he claimed to have been disappointed by the amount of time spent shooting the face-changing shot for the transformation. He was spending months working on the mechanism. Landis only required one take, lasting about seven seconds. Excuse me. It's memorable. It worked. It is, yeah. But I can I get it. Where you know Rick Baker's like, I spent months in this. That shot should last ten minutes. David Naughton, who plays David. Then known at this time as Dr. Pepper's yes. star of the I'm a Pepper commercials. Do you remember those? Yeah, I can see him actually. Yes. Yeah. I'm a Pepper. You are a Pepper. He's a Pepper. She's totally, a Pepper. He does the like song to dance. Be a yeah. Pepper too. Yep. Be a Pepper. Drink Dr. Pepper. Yeah. I totally see him and I can totally see. Yeah. I see his face. Yep. Well, he was let go by Dr. Pepper because of his nude scenes in this movie. <laughs> and there was a lot of nude scenes of him in this movie. Oh, yeah. You see his butt cheeks a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, just wouldn't be a good podcast. Bill Bant didn't say butt cheeks. There you go. It's better than what I thought you were going to say, actually. Oh, yeah. You see that, too. Oh, yeah. We see it all. Yep. Yeah. Good old Um, David Naughton flopping around. I found this interesting. I have to go back and check on this, too. So the title of the porn movie that we see is called oh, awesome. See You Next Wednesday. So supposedly this is a trademark of John Landis's work. Mm-hmm. So he first heard about in the dialogue from a 2001 Space Odyssey. Um, so he created uh, the fictional movie and included it in posters for it as early as Trading Places, you supposedly see it. Coming to America, you see it. Billboards in the Blues Brothers, you see it. Uh, shown in the Kentucky Fried movie. Michael Jackson's thriller. And um, I got to keep an eye out for now. See you next oh, Wednesday. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I got to keep an eye out for this. So yeah, That's I guess he uses a lot, this little calling card. So I thought that was kind of cool because you do see the poster in the subway scene when the guy's mm-hmm. running through, there is a poster for it. See you next Wednesday. Absolutely. Yeah. And I happened to catch it and I was like, Oh, what is that? And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh crap. That's the name of the film they're watching. I thought that was, yeah, that caught me by surprise. That's great. This will be my little last fun fact. The episode of The Muppet Show playing on the television during David's nightmare sequence is The Muppet Show Senior Wences. 
1980. But the portion shown was never shown in the U.S. And this is why the Americans often assumed it to be a fake episode and why Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog are credited. Um, yeah. So my last uh, fact and trivia is so John Landis actually performs a stunt in the movie. So in the last car smash up scene that you were talking about when the uh, wolf escapes from the cinema. So there's a scene where a guy gets hit by a car and him and a woman go through a, the window, the storefront. That's John Landis getting hit by the car and flying through the window. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. So I guess he had a, a career at one point in stunts. I, I didn't know that at all. I've actually seen the footage of him doing the stunt. And I think the driver of the stunt was, uh, was it Vic Armstrong who does a lot, who did a lot of the um, stunt coordinations he, for the bond movies. Oh yeah. Well, Vic Armstrong was also Harrison Ford's yeah. uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Well, I got to meet Vic Armstrong actually. Oh really? I did at the International Stunt Awards years ago with our buddies, Chris and Pat, who worked on the video packages for that show. I got to go uh, behind the scenes. I believe it was on the Paramount lot, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the coolest, this is one of the highlights of my life, was uh, they did a cool video package with uh, stunt doubles performing the lines of the actual actors that they were doubling for. Oh, hilarious. So Vic Armstrong was doing... Harrison Ford's lines, like Indiana Jones's lines, but uh-huh. it's Vic Armstrong. And so they needed him to dress up like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have an Indiana Jones replica leather jacket. Vic Armstrong wore my Indiana Jones jacket in that video package during oh, the awards awesome. show. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I got to meet him briefly and shake his hand behind the scenes there. Backstage. Nice. There you yeah, go. You got cool. a little tie in there. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that was that was a highlight for sure, man. So let's move on to box office. Um, so this movie was released on August 21st, 1981. On an estimated budget of $10 million, the movie grossed $31.9 million domestically and $29.9 million internationally for a total box office gross of $61.9 million. I'm rounding it up, so I know the math doesn't particularly work out there. It was the 15th highest grossing movie in the United States in 1981. It debuted at number two in the box office, which happened to a lot of movies during the summer of 1981 because the number one movie at that time was, we just talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, yeah, so American Werewolf in London stayed in the top 10 for six weeks. As for reviews, The American Werewolf in London was not reviewed on sneak previews with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, which I found pretty surprising. But Roger Ebert was not a fan of the film, saying Landis spent all of his energy on spectacular set pieces and then didn't want to bother with things like transitions, character development, or an ending. Ouch. However, American Werewolf in London has an 88% rating on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes and a 7.5 score on IMDb. So pretty good marks there. So that brings yeah. us to our additional thoughts and questions. Do you have any additional thoughts and questions for an American werewolf in London? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, it's interesting. I think it ties in a little bit with Ebert's review for me personally, because I have some issues with this movie. I, am, I don't think it's a perfect balance. I think it's really tough to walk this fine line of comedy and horror the weird thing about it, it's it's not as if like the jokes are duds or as if the horror is ineffective. 
they're effective. And especially in certain moments, there are absolute moments of brilliance in this. It is a movie that is in more than capable hands. John Landis is awesome. Uh, I love the, the, I thought the performances were solid all around in this movie. My additional thought is I wish it was more specific. I wished it had leaned either one way or another more heavily, either on the comedy or the horror, just make a choice one way or the other. And that's just my opinion. I felt like for sure, I, I disagree with Ebert. I didn't think that it was too reliant on set pieces. However, it does feel like at times a Rick Baker showcase. There's no doubt about it. It's like, we've got the best in the biz. Let's show it off. And they do. And I'm glad they did. You can't deny the, the makeup effects in this are just, they stay with you. But like I said at the top, this is a movie I really want to love. I personally, I would love to remake this. I would love to give a shot at doing my, uh, to writing a version of this. I would fashion it as an absolute bittersweet tragedy. I actually really like the film as it is right after the transformation. Um, so basically the last 37 minutes of this film are wonderful for me. I would like to see the story of a young man that falls in love with the young nurse. They have a love affair. You see the transformation. Um, I would like to see more lore with the town of East Proctor, as if maybe actually David has to go back to that town to find something or do something in order to lift the, a curse of some kind, something along those lines. I would like to see so much, a lot more development of the relationship actually between David and Alex, meaning we have the wonderful camaraderie in this version with David and Jack, but with David and Alex, like this budding romance and they true then to see them truly fall in love only like there's a wonderful moment. There's things that are alluded to in this movie that weren't, there wasn't a follow through. David mentions to Alex at one point, he says, I think the werewolf can only be killed by someone he loves or that loves him. And at the very end, and I was like, that's an interesting thing to add into the lore of the werewolf, because we know about the silver bullet theory and et cetera, et cetera. If it can only be someone that is truly and loves him is the only one that can kill him. That would be an interesting addition, because then I thought actually at the end that it was somehow Alex, the nurse that shot him, mm -hmm. but he actually gets killed by the police. So they didn't follow through with that. Yeah which I thought they missed a bet there. I thought uh, that was a real opportunity. So to watch a film about this relationship between this young man and woman that really grows into true love that had come out of this traumatic event that happened to him related to the werewolf scarring, you know, that put him in the hospital in the first place. And then how is he going to deal? Because it's about humanity, right? It's really this, this duality, the humanity, and then the animal uh, aspect of the human being, you know, a human dealing with the actual, the beast within. It's something that's been dealt with in so many of these movies. And maybe it is the Nolan version that I'm, I'm looking for, but also with, I, I would like a lot more heart to it because the moment when he's in that phone booth and has to make the phone call to his family and basically saying goodbye to them, mm -hmm. knowing that what Jack has told him has to come to fruition, he must die. And he knows that's the only outcome here. It's absolutely tragic. It's heart-wrenching. 
And I want to see in that scene, I want to see him break down. I want to see him lose it. And that didn't quite work for me in this version. You see him get slightly emotional, but he's trying, he's almost about to slit his wrist with a pocket knife, like with Swiss army yeah. knife. And it, that did not work for me. But in the version I would like to see, or I would like to write is where a scene like that would be absolutely gut wrenching. And then at the end with this wonderful scene as is with the chaotic scene where you see him at his worst, where he's fully transformed, where the animal has been let loose. And that is the darker side, but the human side is still in him, right? And that's the side we're rooting for. And we want him to be okay to get either cured or something, you know, obviously that would be part of it, but she can't save him in the end. She's the one that has to put him out of his misery. But I would have liked to seen that version. That would have had a little more emotion because I was still very sad at the end of, at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's bittersweet, man. David doesn't make it. Yeah. And it's sad. And there is the horror element. But then the Blue Moon song kicks in the credits roll. And I'm like, I don't know what to feel. So this movie is confusing for me emotionally. I want to love it. I just end up having an appreciation for it on a technical level versus an emotional level. Okay. So my, that leads into my question for you would be if, do you love it as is, or are there anything you would do differently if you were to remake it? Watching this time, I just found the ending to be too abrupt for me. So I, I need it a little bit more, but I'm not sure exactly what I need it because I mean, he goes on the second killing spree this the next night, all chaos is like where you know, where where do you go with it at that point? I wish there was more of him trying to, like you said, maybe try to figure out like, okay, I was in the werewolf, I killed these six people. Now I got 29 and a half days to figure out what my next move is before this all happens again. And maybe him and Alex try to like you said, go back to the town, try to figure out what they're supposed to do, if there's something they can do. And then maybe right. she does kill him at the end where it's, you know, the, the, the time is up and he doesn't want to transform yeah. and she just puts him out of his misery. I mean, listen, folks, this movie is an hour and 37 minutes long. He does not transform into the werewolf until approximately what, 57 minute mark. It's almost an hour yeah. in, into this movie. Yeah. So you can cut before like, he actually. Yeah. 10, 15 minutes out of the beginning or slap another 20 minutes in the end. This movie's a little bit, the pacing, again, is a little off in some places. It's just, it's it's a weird, this is a weird movie, and I just didn't feel ever grounded emotionally. And again, it's, I want to laugh. I want there to be moments of levity. I want to see a, just a, an everyman, like this guy who just, he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then you see him have to deal with this awful curse and this tragic end, and I want to be crying at the end, and just have been gone on a roller coaster ride of sorts. But this was just a little bit more confusing for me. <laughs> but I guess abrupt is a, just a great word. There's a lot of abruptness in this movie. I think mm-hmm. that's all. I still obviously love it, you know, on certain levels. Mm-hmm. So this is a werewolf movie, man. What's what's uh, what do you think is the best? Werewolf movie. There's a long list of werewolf movies, but uh, Rattle rattle Off a few. There's The Howling. There's the Underworld series. There's Wolf, the Jack Nicholson film. How about The Wolf Man? There's been, I think, a couple of Wolf Men. I'm thinking of the one, what's the, I'm thinking of the, uh, oh my gosh, 
the actor's name is now it's Benicio del Toro. Skip, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking of. But there's the Twilight Saga. There's Dog Soldiers, which I had heard of, but I know. Oh, I've seen about. that recently. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I would say an underrated one, not my favorite one, is Wolfen with Albert Finney. Oh, there we go. And uh, Gregory Hines. That's that's kind of a cool one. But werewolf? I don't know. I, cool. I've never seen that. Yeah. I, I like this one. I like this one. I'm sorry. This yeah. is my favorite one. Cool. Great. Well, hey, man. I mean, great I love, choice. I love seeing Kate Beckinsale in a battle. I was, you know, funny enough, I was going to say, I actually have an appreciation for the lichens, as they're called, the werewolves in the Underworld series. I think, like the first one, I haven't, I'm not well versed in the series. I think I've seen maybe the first two. They started getting a little ridiculous. But uh, yeah, but the lichens are pretty cool. Yeah. They look great. The design is very cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely not American Werewolf in Paris. That movie's a piece of crap. <laughs> we didn't need much of it. It's like that movie came out 15 years later, and the special effects in American Werewolf in London are 50 times better. How do you explain that? Yeah. I know. It's horrible. That's a shame. They totally screwed that one up. Yeah. Just really horrible computer effects. So speaking of John Landis favorite john landis movie do you are you partial to one of his many many uh great movies blues brothers there it is the blues brothers speaking of which perfect segue i wanted to give a quick shout out to our guys ben tyler and matt from the three films and a podcast podcast they are called three films and a podcast and they were kind enough enough to have us as guest hosts recently to do the blues brothers and we had a blast yeah it's fun show on their show yeah it was great discussing the blues brothers those guys are great they just had a lot of uh insight and a lot of great questions a lot of a lot of great commentary on film in general so it was just it was fun to be a part of that and uh we hope to return the favor have them on our show one day but we did a john landis discussion during that pod, and you mentioned, you know, the Blues Brothers being your favorite Landis film. And I, you know, still looking over his filmography, I'm, you know, obviously coming to America, Trading Places, great movies that both Eddie Murphy films. But man, I, the impact that Michael Jackson's thriller had on me, I just keep coming back to that. Oh, yeah. That just, that ch- such a game changer between the, it was a short story in a music video. Michael Jackson at his peak powers, the costuming, the makeup effects in that. That one gave me nightmares. Elmer too. Bernstein actually did some of the horror music in that. Mm-hmm. The dance choreography. There you go. That's it's great stuff. John Landis, man, uh, has made his mark. And uh, oh yeah, I just wanted lastly, yes, check out three films in a podcast uh, on most available streaming platforms. So just want to give those guys a shout out once again. But that that's it for me as far as additional comments and questions. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Bill Bant? No, I think we covered everything about this film. I think, we, yeah, let's just move on to uh, our recommendations. Absolutely. So for me, I say this is a must watch. I mean, this should be part of your movie collection. Just the wolf transformation alone is just worth watching it and then just you know all the behind the scenes stuff of how they did that they show you a lot of that stuff on the dvd blu-ray or 4k whatever you know whatever you can get it on yeah special effects are just amazing i think just the way it influenced the 
werewolf lore moving forward. A lot of it began began right there. I am a sucker for comedy horror films. Um, so, we, you know, we did Evil Dead 2, like Return of the Living Dead. That kind of stuff just, I don't know, that just always gets me. So this is just right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I love the way they use the songs. I know, you know, how you said how the ending is a little abrupt. And I was like, yeah, you are kind of right with that too. But um, no, I love this film. It's it scared the crap out of me uh, for the longest time. Gave me nightmares. But I don't know. I just appreciate everything that it did. I, I think it's I think it's a fun movie. You got to watch it. Well said. Yeah, you know, I agree. I actually do agree, Bill Bant. It is a must watch. I recommend this 110%. Check it out. Put it in your library. It is a classic. I mean, it's um, much revered for good reason, for all the reasons we've stated uh, previous. I don't need to go over it again here. I have said my opinion is that I would like to see this uh, romantic drama version of it. There's, I know there could be comparisons to the film Wolf with Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer, but I think there's a little bit of that in that particular iteration of the werewolf story in this version though. I just, yeah, that was, you know, maybe something I was yearning for, but man, I still really enjoyed watching this movie. It's a real, it's a fun watch. It's interesting and weird. It takes chances. The, filmmaking just as a gen in general forward i mean it's the impact it has on filmmaking and makeup effects and uh, yeah is um what can you say this changed things for the industry and i i'm glad this movie exists it was just fun to watch. i would watch this again in a heartbeat and i hope uh people check it out if you haven't seen it and if you have watch it again see what you think now let us know Great movie. All right. Um, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to us during our Splatter Cinema Month. We will turn our attention to comedy as we discuss 1987's Mel Brooks comedy Spaceballs, starring Bill Pullman, John Candy, Daphne Zuniga, and Rick Moranis. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at All80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone, and happy Halloween. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. <laughs> <laughs>